Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. In our Advent Sermon Series, The Language of Christmas, we are unpacking five ways to show love to one another. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and giving of gifts. Jesus lived a life of perfect love for God's people. The greatest responsibility and opportunity for a Christ follower is to practice loving God and neighbor like he loved us first. It's our prayer that the love of Christ will be the greatest gift in your home this Christmas. Now, tune in as we study what love is and how to show it. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here today. Now, those of you who are just tracking with Rolling Hills for the first time this Christmas, Merry Christmas, welcome back, or welcome for the very first time. As you've seen on screens and probably in your worship guide or in some sort of promotional piece this morning, you've realized that we're in a series that's all about the love languages of Christmas. And you're thinking, okay, I know that was a book that some pastor made me read right before we got married. I don't know how the love languages has anything to do with the idea of Christmas. So y'all prove it to me this morning. And we've already gone through the idea of physical touch. Mercy, I'm so glad that our pastor Jeff Simmons from the Franklin campus took that one because I didn't know that I could stand up here for minimally 30 minutes and talk to y'all about physical touch on a Sunday morning without feeling a little bit cheapish. And then we went last week to the idea of words of affirmation. I can get on board with that because I love the compliments and the encouragement and the support. Okay, maybe later, just one-on-one. Like one-on-one, we'll do that and it'll be awesome and I will greatly appreciate it. And today we turn our attentions to the idea of of quality time. And some of y'all are like, yes, Put me in coach because quality time, that is my love language. That's the way that I best receive love and from other people. That's the way that I feel known and seen and cared for. And that's the way that I like to intersect other people. Like I want to spend time with people in order to show them that I love them. And you're still on the edge of your seat going, I don't know how in the world that this idea of love languages has anything to do with Jesus Christ put in a manger, angels we have heard on high, and all of the other stuff that I've come to know and love at Christmas. Christmas, and I just say this, neither does 90% of the other stuff that's going on out there in the world. In fact, this idea of love languages probably has far more to do with Christmas. Looking around for the youngest person in the room, like what's the lowest common denominator? Than some of the ho-ho-ho other things that we do this time of year. In fact, this picture of what it means to be loved by God, what it means for us to love him, and what it means for us to love others probably has a whole lot more to do with these languages than it does any of the other traditions that we get so caught up in. And I did want to say this morning that I don't mean to throw shade on Santa Claus or elves or Rudolph or anything, but actually that's kind of a lie. I do. 
And, and I'm okay being that guy, that pastor, that person in the room that says we as a people ought to downplay some things at Christmas simply so that we can magnify some other things at Christmas. And that's not saying that any of those things are inherently bad, but what I am saying in the same context is they're not helping us do anything good. And we could save ourselves a lot of time and a lot of trouble and a lot of headache if we would just pick one or the other and choose to spend the time and the money and the resources and the effort and the attention that we have at Christmas on Christ and Christ alone. I shared last week that as a family, the Allens celebrate Hanukkah every year. Susan and I have paid attention to this since before our kids was bo- were born, and we've continued to do that with them as a family celebration year after year after year. And if you would compare us to any Jewish family in the community that's celebrating Hanukkah in significant ways, they would probably say we're doing it wrong, and that's okay. But we're giving attention to something that's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. In fact, 150 years before Christ is where this tradition was born. And Jesus himself celebrated these moments. So we feel like it's okay in that season to focus a little bit on the things that Jesus would have been focusing on. The stories that Mary would have been telling him. The stories that Joseph and the community around him would have rallied around. We feel okay about that. This year it starts on December 18th, so you haven't even missed it yet. Like you can still jump on board and do the Hanukkah blessings with us. It's old stuff. And yet most of our modern traditions aren't really that old. Like our modern rooftops, chimneys, North Pole elves, it didn't come around until the 1800s and that was propagated by a mall with a really good marketing scheme. Apparently they did well. The idea of Rudolph didn't debut until the 1930s, and it didn't gain popularity until the 1960s, because, you know, he went on a journey with an elf that really wanted to be a dentist, and it was claymation, and that was super fun. We watch it every year, jump on board, it's fun. We sing a song about all of the other rangers making fun of him, which is not nice. They should have listened to the message last week about the words of affirmation, and it would have been a whole lot better. That didn't gain popularity until really the 1960s. Elf on the Shelf didn't come out until 2005, so I don't know what we've been doing with our lives before that year, but there's a whole lot of Christmas that we didn't even know to celebrate until 2005, and a woman wrote a book to make her kids be good, and here we have an elf. When I was a little kid, we did talk a little bit about Advent and the idea of Christmas, but for me, it was just a cardboard cutout where you punched a hole 25 days in a row and got a Hershey kiss out of it. Like, I didn't know that it meant coming of Christ. That tradition emerged in about the 4th century. The first writings that we have about the idea of Advent came from the early church, about 400 years after Jesus, and here they are acknowledging the fact that we ought to celebrate the coming of Christ into the world in the same way that we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ for the world. And so we look at the idea of what it means for, for Christ to come. I've been listening to Pastor Louis Giglio in my personal time this month, and, and he says, if we're never waiting you know, the idea of Advent, it reminds us to wait, that something's coming. And if we can trust that Jesus Christ came the first time, we can wait eagerly and patiently for him to come the second time. He says, if we're never waiting on anything, we don't have to have faith. It would be great, he says, if God did everything that we needed him to do, everything that we wanted him to do, everything that we told him to do right when we told him to do it. But if God did everything exactly the way that we wanted him to do it, we would need zero faith. 
waiting is really good for us. According to Isaiah, it develops strength in us. It renews us. And as a part of the testing of our faith in life, the idea of waiting leads to the emergence of perseverance, according to the book of James, in us. The reason why we need faith is so that we can walk in wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5, this is my diving board this morning, like I'm literally going to do a half gainer off the top of this edge into scripture through Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 and 16. It says, be very, like not even careful, but be very careful. We have a new driver in our house. We're constantly saying, be careful, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. You want to talk about a verse that tells us to use our time wisely? It's this one. And we're talking about quality time this morning, so it makes sense. Like, we need to live as wise people, not unwise people, so that we can make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. That's a harsh word right there, Paul. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That word wise in scripture in the original Greek language is the word sophos, and it means forming the very best plans and the best means for execution. And I love that idea of like forming the best plans. Like what's our best strategy for accomplishing this goal? And how are we going to execute what that goal is? Like these are our best laid plans. The word evil in that passage of scripture is the word poneros, and it means labors, annoyance. So it's not like evil as in like wicked per se, but it's just the idea of like it's rough, it's tough. It's difficult, and this is the moment in the service where somebody ought to say amen, because you're right, days are long. Actually, they're short, Nick, because we get nighttime. No, it's that the days are hard. It's that life is difficult, that each one of us bears with us our own share of trouble, and if we're going to live in the middle of all that trouble, we want to do it with wisdom. When it comes to time, it's in your notes this morning if you like to jot things down because you don't want to like get behind and you want to be able to remember things later. You just want to stay awake. I get it. Let's do this. It says there's a difference between quality and quantity. And we've all heard that difference. Like, oh yeah, I'm not so much concerned with the quantity of time as I am with the quality of time. Because you can spend a whole lot of time with someone and none of it be meaningful at all. But the truth is, When it comes to the quantity and the quality of time, we need both. Like, we need both. Like, we can't just be satisfied with one or the other. I like to read a fellow in ministry. His name is Reggie Joyner. Um, And he's taught a lot about what it means to be engaged in family ministry. In fact, we use a curriculum from the house that he directs in Atlanta, and they talk a lot about what it means to be faith-filled people and what it means to pass that faith on to the next generation. And in the book that's titled Playing for Keeps, he talks about how kids and teenagers literally need six special things. And, And they're like, they're easy to remember. They're easy to talk about. The first is love. This is where I always hold my breath to make sure that it works. Yes. We've got love. Okay, we need love, right? And we want to make sure that every one of our children, and let's just back up from the idea of this being about kids and say every single one of us needs love. Like, we need it in order to survive. We need it the same ways that we need breath. We need it the same ways that we need food. We need it the same ways that we need Christmas cookies and words of affirmation. We need love. Like, we need to know that we are cared for by another person. We also need stories. Stories. 
we need. Like, as a very physical part of who we are as human beings, we need the story of where we came from. We need to know what our shared history is. You know who tells the absolute best stories? People who've been oppressed. You look at a Jewish community that was coming out of exile, they told the very best stories in order to pass the traditions of what God had done for them onto the next generation. That's why there's so many verses quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament, because they're sharing stories of their history, of who God was, of what he has done. You know who tells the best stories? People who are oppressed. You talk to anybody who was alive during the civil rights movement. They tell really good stories of what it meant to collectively be a people who were in need. We tell good stories. We call it the 4th of July. It's all about the Revolutionary War. We talk then about what it means to be a people who had come out of oppressive rule to be our own. We all need those stories, and we need to be able to pass on those stories so that people can know where they come from, and then ultimately tribes to know who they belong to. Like, not just every kid, not just every teenager, but every human being. You and I need a people group to belong to. We need a family to be a part of. We need a community to participate in. Like, we need tribes of people that we link arms with and that we can depend on and who can ultimately depend on us. We also need fun. We just need moments to enjoy ourselves. Like, life just can't be all pain and turmoil. We literally need moments where we can dive in and have a good time, where we can put on no pretense and just be ourselves. We need to create space for that. Andy Stanley says that it's a sin for church to be boring, and we agree. Like, we want this to be a place that's fun. We also need words. Words. Like, we need those encouraging words. We need those supportive words. We need those connecting words, and we need time. Time together. Not just the quality of time, but the quantity of time. And not just the quantity of time, but the quality of time. And we need every single one of those things over time. We need love over time. Because it's not enough for someone to look at you and tell you that they love you once. If that's the case, there would never be a need for divorce. There would, there would never, ever be kids who've grown up and they're sitting on a couch in therapy talking about a parent who did not love them or care for them. Like, we don't just need to be told we're loved once. We need it on repeat over time. We can't just be told the stories of where we came from and the history of what we share once. We can't just have somebody in our corner on our tribe that we can depend on, that we can be a part of once. We need that stretched out over the span of our lives. We need love over time, stories over time, tribes over time, fun over time. It's not enough just to do one thing fun in your entire life. You're not going to last very long on that. You need extra fun. Some of y'all hadn't had fun in a real long time. I encourage you to go have some today. Make sure it's legal. Make sure it's (laughs) encouraging to somebody else. But like, just have some fun, watch a movie, listen to a comedian, laugh at something silly, like just do something fun. We need words. We talked about words of affirmation last week. It's not enough for y'all to tell me you like me once. I'm going to need it a little bit more frequently than that, a little bit more frequently that. And, and time, the time that you spend with each other, you don't need that once. You need it on repeat. 
We need those moments that we share together, those experiences that we have together, and those traditions that we cultivate with one another. We need love and stories and fun and tribes and words and time over time in order to know that we're loved, in order to know that we're cared about, in order to experience who God is and ultimately what he's done for us. We need all of those things over time in order to understand what the world is like and what it means to be his joiner rights. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God established time as a platform so that he could communicate something that's so complex that it needed to be presented strategically over time. Why didn't God just send Jesus right after Adam and Eve ate that fruit? He could have, and it would have solved all of their problems and all of their issues right then and there. He waited, and he used time. And the book of Galatians tells us that at the fullness of time, at just the right time, that's when Christ came. He gave Abraham a son, but it took a really long time. He put Joseph in jail and left him there for a long time. He sent Moses to deliver the nation, but it was after they had been slaves for a long time. And then he let that same nation wander in a desert for decades, for a long time. Have you ever thought about why? Joyner says it was as if God decided, I can help you understand something in time that you could never really understand or grasp in a moment. There are aspects of his nature, secrets about life, and codes to the universe that are so intricate that they take time to decipher. More than anything else, this idea of of quality time and the time that we spend with God and the time that we spend engaging his word has a lot to do, maybe more than we ever thought possible, with the Christmas story. Here I am in the book of Matthew chapter 1, and we're starting with uh, verse 18. And it says to us this morning, this is how the birth um, it's literally the nativity story. This is the origin. This is, this is the genealogy that we've already talked about of Jesus, and this is how his birth came to be. We get a different picture from Luke, like it's Mary's side of the family, and now we're looking at Joseph's side of the family. It says this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, it's the Christ, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, like before they were married, before they had their honeymoon moment, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph Joseph was, uh, he was faithful to the law. He did not want to expose her to a public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the Bible says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. People who are oppressed tell and remember really good stories so that they can remain really well connected to the God of that story. He quotes Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, parentheses, which means, in case anybody doesn't know, God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and he took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage. Um, He had not yet listened to the message about physical touch, sorry. Okay, until she gave birth to a son and he love this part. Joseph, not even biologically related to the Son of God, got to name him Jesus. Like, imagine if just for a minute he had done what would have been legal in the moment, 
Mary being found with child, it would have been within his rights to dismiss her. It would have been within his rights to do it publicly, to disgrace her and her entire family to where shame would have been brought on all of them. He literally could have gone his own way. Think of what he would have still lost. Like shame would have been heaped on him and his family, but he had been betrothed to be married to Mary probably since the time that she was born when he was just a young kid. His parents say, oh yeah, son, guess what? About 10 years, 15 years, we've got the girl picked out for you. And then as a young adult man, he began readying himself, setting up a household, setting up a business, making sure that he was prepared because at just the right time, he as a bridegroom would get to go and take her home as his wife. All of that preparation wasted. All of that prayer wasted. All of those moments that he spent getting, he would have had to start over from square one, swipe right, swipe left, swipe right, like literally figuring out who's going to be next because I sure can't marry her anymore. It would have been so much time, so much effort, and probably a little bit of shame. Joseph would have lost a lot. But when it comes to time, what we stand to lose is not as important as what we might miss. Joseph didn't miss it. When you and I are not intentional with our attention, so glad he paid attention to that angel. When we're not intentional with our attention, you and I miss what matters. Sometimes it seems like such an accident, like we don't mean to. We just get busy. We just get distracted. Like we get so focused on something else that we, we, we miss what matters. But sometimes it's on purpose. You keep fast forwarding through the Christmas story and you get some people that literally missed it. And it was on purpose. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees that we read so much about in Scripture, he assembles these guys who are supposed to be experts in everything from Genesis all the way to Malachi. They're supposed to be experts in not only that, but everything that had just transpired over the last 400 years. You want to know about Hanukkah? You ask the Pharisees. You want to know about the birth of Christ and the prophecies that foreshadowed when the Messiah was going to finally come in the life of Israel? You ask the scribes and the teachers of the religious law. So he had assembled all these guys together and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born and they said, not missing a beat, not having to go look it up, not jumping on Google or Wikipedia and being like, hold on, let me give you the right answer. No, they said in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. They knew to look and they weren't that far away and yet they totally ignored the opportunity that they had. It is very possible. It's possible, not only possible, but probable to be a person who knows the meaning of Christmas and still very intentionally misses it. You can know the meaning of Christmas and still miss Christ. They, they quote the prophet. But you, Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
So then Herod, he called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And as much as we love putting wise men at our nativity scene, and we do, and they're pretty, and we like the, they're like, they're wooden, and they're carved, and we just hold our breath that the kids don't break them year after year. I think we're kind of coming on a landing where that's probably not going to happen, but maybe one day the Lord will bless us with grandkids, and we'll have to put it on a higher shelf. Like, we love our wise men, and we bring them to the nativity, and Jesus is an infant, but the truth of the matter is, he's likely two years old when they get there. They're not coming and presenting gifts in front of an infant. They're coming and presenting gifts in front of a toddler. And I'm sitting there mind blown at that. I was like, y'all followed a star for two years? I can't even pay attention to the same television show for two years. Two years is how long they journeyed in order to find this king. And so Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search air quotes, carefully for the child. Be careful. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We throw a lot of shade at Herod, and we should. He was a maniac. But look at his stated attention in the moment. I want to go and worship him too. And we know that wasn't his intention. He wanted to find the Christ child, and he wanted to kill the Christ child so that there would be nobody threatening his throne in life. Our stated attention, I don't know a believer in Jesus Christ whose stated attention at Christmas time is not to, to go and to worship Jesus. Not throwing any shade on Herod, there's a lot of people who state that their attention is to go and worship Jesus. But look at the calendar. Look at the pocketbook, look at the posts, look at all of the other effort. And it's not so much about Christ. It's possible to be a person who knows the meaning of Christmas, doesn't spend any time focusing on the reality of what it means. How do you spend your time at Christmas? I say often that volume speaks value. Like, not how loudly you say something. Y'all, I was singing that last song that we sang so loud. It was like at the perfect spot in my vocal range where I had to yell it in order to be able to get the words out. And so I did, like loud and proud, up here on my second row, shouting these words. But the volume that we use is not just how loudly we sing something. Or Some of y'all are soft talkers. I get it. Like, it's not how loudly you do it. It's how often you do it. Volume is not just how loudly we say something, it's how often we say something. And the volume of our lives speaks a value whether we like it or not. One of my favorite Christmas carols is Joy to the World. And it's like the guy who wrote it just forgot to be creative and come up with new lyrics. Because you know at the end of every single one of those verses, we sing the same thing like three times. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Like we sing it over and over again. We do the same thing. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Well, that's exactly what we're doing in this song, brother. We're repeating the sounding joy and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders. Y'all want me to sing it. Don't make me sing. (laughs) Like wonders of his love. We repeat the best part of the songs, that all of heaven and all of nature literally declares the praise of our great God. 
that you and I are blessed to have our eyes opened and our ears tuned in to be able to repeat over and over and over again the joy that we can experience at Christmas. And the thing that we ought to be able to shout loudest this time of year and most often this time of year is that love has broken through and that the great God of this universe has looked on a very wicked, foolish people and decided that even though we've been naughty, not nice, we get love and grace and forgiveness instead. I've, I've never met a Christ-following parent who wanted to downplay the birth of Jesus at Christmas. But I sure have met literal thousands through the years who spent far more time upplaying things that have nothing to do with Christ. The world does not need our help keeping Christ out of Christmas they're doing a real good job by themselves. Like, like if I was evaluating the world based on their achieved goals of taking Christ out of Christmas, A plus, great job. The world deserves a raise because the world is doing a real good job being the world. And they don't have to recruit you to be on their team in order to help them accomplish their mission of making Christmas about something other than Christ. Hey, spend your time focusing on this. Spend your time reading this. Spend your time spending this. Spend your time telling this. Like the world doesn't need our help telling our children or the people outside this room that Christmas is about something other than Christ. It's Romans 1.25, over and over and over and over again, on repeat, same line, over and over and over again, that people, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things, made up stories, fantasies, and fairy tales, made up stuff, rather than the creator of this world who is to be forever praised. Christians who are mad at the world, like we don't want to step into that. Like, you know, there's a lot of believers out there who are mad at the world for being the world. Like, just so mad that the world outside doesn't support my Christmas story and doesn't affirm my, my Christmas truth. Like, we're, we're mad at Target for being Target. We're mad at Disney for being Disney. We're mad at Netflix for being Netflix. We're mad at whatever popular musicians or television shows or networks or, or celebrities are living lives and telling stories that don't confirm but are actually in conflict with my Christian values. It's not up to the world to teach your Christian values for you. It's not the world's job to tell the story about Jesus. That's our job. And sometimes we're so mad at the world for not telling the story about Jesus that we forget that it's our job to tell the story about Jesus. And we've wasted the time that we could have spent telling the story about Jesus, being mad at other people for not, I'm boycotting that because they don't tell the story. I'm boycotting that because they don't affirm my values or tell my Christian ethics not mad at the world for being unchristian. The world's doing a bang-up job doing exactly what it's supposed to do, exactly what it's intended to do, exactly what it's always wanted to do. The real question is, are, are we doing the same at our role? Are we doing okay at being a light within the world? Like, do we, the world's getting a gold star for being the world. Do we get a gold star for being a light of Christ within the world? And if we're spending all of our time attacking the world, we're not winning. Like, the world doesn't need our approval to be the world. 
The world doesn't need our endorsement to be the world, and the world is not going to change because we attack the world. The world's doing fine. The problem is we're not doing such a great job spending our time and our energy and our resources focusing on the Christ of Christmas that lives out the light of the world. The world doesn't need our help making a big deal out of, just say it, Santa elves, reindeer, all the other things. They don't need our help. They're doing a real good job. But my mercy, we as the church of Jesus Christ need to do better at at making much of Christ because the world needs our help to understand Christmas. It says in Matthew 1, everything that took place took place. Like everything that the angel told Zechariah and everything that John the Baptist leapt for inside of Elizabeth, everything that the prophets had looked at and longed for, everything that Scripture says the angels long to be a part of, everything that the angel told Joseph and that the angel told Mary, everything that had happened up to that point was to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. What does it mean? It means God came to be with us. That's what Christmas is about. That the great God of this universe wasn't watching us to see if we've been naughty or nice and only coming to visit those who had been good, but was loving us in spite of the fact that we'd been bad and came to send his son to offer us a forgiveness that we, we could not earn on our own. Revelation chapter 21 says this, it's that, that literally the end of time prophecy about what's going to happen in the future. And John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. This is my favorite part. I heard a loud voice like from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That's Emmanuel. God come to be with us for all time. It says they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That idea of dwelling place in Scripture, it's the Greek word skene, and it, it, it means dwelling place. It comes from the idea of skia, which means shadow. It's connected to the word shadow, and that's shade caused by an interception of light. We know that our shadows are caused when light intercepts us. And that's what happened when Christ intersected the world. It cast an incredible light. It's a sketch. It's an outline. Then he says, write this stuff down. One on the throne is making all things new. Write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. You know what skene, dwelling place, also equals? Tabernacle. Some of your Bible translations, if you're, you're reading Revelation chapter 21, they don't say dwelling place, they, they, it, they say tabernacle. Tabernacle was the, 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 the picture of God's presence in the life of Israel as they wandered around for decades in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 40, God gives instructions like he's in a tent of meeting. And that's just basically the apartment that he and Moses lived in before the house was fully constructed. He gives them these instructions for how to build a tabernacle. And it says in verse 40 of the book of Exodus chapter 38 that the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle. In Hebrew, it's the word mitchkon and it means dwelling place. 
Like God's dwelling place is among his people. That's what was going on in the tabernacle. And it says, by day there was a cloud and by fire in the cloud at night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. As you walk this journey, as you live your life, hold on, be wise, not unwise, making the most of every opportunity that you have because the days are evil. And it's okay, you don't have to be concerned with the evil that is inside of the days because you have a God who came to be with you and redeem you from all of that so that you could just be with him. The hope of Christmas is not that somebody's going to come and give us a bunch of presents and then leave. The hope of Christmas is that God came and gave us his presence and he stayed Through Jesus, God is with us. And only in complete and total worship are we with him. Is the time that you spend with others this Christmas showing them Jesus? Are you just real busy doing other things? Like sprinkling a little bit of Jesus into the mix because you're focusing on a whole different story. Sprinkling in a little bit of Jesus into the mix because you're focusing on a whole different tradition. Sprinkling a little, that's not enough. Like we want to be all about him and using all of our time to represent him. If somebody repeated your Christmas, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sound. If somebody repeated your Christmas, somebody in this world brand new to Christmas, did it just like you? Would they see and grow closer to Christ? Or are there a whole lot of distractions standing in the way? Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. There there are people outside. You won't say those words because it feels real awkward and you don't want to feel proud and you're just not real confident in yourself to be able to say it. But you, you should literally be able to look at your neighbor, at your kids, at your coworkers and says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And if you do Christmas the way I do Christmas, you'll see Jesus. I'm not perfect at it, and, and we mess up, and I don't have as much money as somebody else, and, and, and we don't do all the— Like, if you follow me, I promise you, if you do Christmas the way I do Christmas, you will see Jesus. The only way to communicate who Christ is is with the quality of the time that we spend— pointing people to Christ, and also the amount of time and energy that we spend showing people Christ. Are you spending time this Christmas in the most quality way? Spending your time with Jesus and investing the time, like making the most of the opportunities that you have with the time that you've been given to show people Christ. That's the goal at Christmas. That's the only qualitative way that you and I can show God's love this time of year or any time of year for that matter. If people did this life just like you, if they celebrated this holiday just like us, what would they see? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Like we just said that the days are evil, but I'm still going to thank you for it. Because what I really mean is, God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather today. And we can pause and remember for a moment 
that there are people all over this world that don't have access to Christian community the way that we do. Like, like they're gathering in, 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 in rooms. And here we are in a room that's white and bright and light, and they're gathering in rooms that are pitch black dark, and they're scared to light up a candle, and they're, they're literally whispering their praise to you, God, because they know that there's a threat outside that wants to diminish their ability to worship you and even take their lives because they know you. Like there's a persecuted church out there, God. And we don't want to take for granted the blessing that we have to gather in this moment and be a part of this tribe and create this community and cultivate this story and and pass this faith on to people who so desperately need it. So God, would you help us to make the most of the opportunities that we have to communicate Christ? And Lord Jesus, would you help us remove and understand our inherent position to say no to anything in the world that distracts us from the truth of what this season is. Anything from the world that deters us from making much of Jesus. Would you remind us, God, that Christmas is all about you coming to be with us. Us and to remain with us and to create in us a people that celebrate your name. And Lord, we don't have that much time. Each day only has 24 hours and you have kept hidden from us how many of these periods of time we get. We'll know how many tomorrows we have. So help us to make the most of the time we have now to talk about Jesus to communicate Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to craft traditions that are all about Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and to his glory that we focus, to his light that we celebrate. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. And lastly, from the church family to your family, Merry Christmas.